So we'll sit erect. Uh, and, uh, you know why you sit erect? It's just so that uh, it's partly structural. You want to be able to have the spine erect so that the Shakti Kundalini can rise easily. So it's not misaligned. It's not misaligned. See? You like Martin, see? <laughs> He's like Yogi. He's <laughs> If I keep watching him, I'll get good posture. <laughs> That's good. So you'll you'll take a deep breath in. And release the breath. And a deep breath in. Oh. Devotion. Pretty nice title. <laughs> Pretty fancy title. Um, there's a, like I said, I want to try from a very, very practical feet on the ground approach. Um, because often, come Christian, come. Often, you know, yogis will talk about devotion, and it's very high, very, very mystical discussion, and lots of fancy terminology. Um, but that's not where the average person lives. <laughs> the average person lives, you know, with the basic uh, uh, tussle of the heart, the ups and downs, with your feet on the ground. You know, most, most people don't live in the high stratosphere of, of, of devotional mysticism. And um, when you're talking about uh, uh, true devotion, you're talking about mysticism, real mysticism. But we don't live there. <laughs> Most of the time we live in, in the context of our emotions. You know, we're, we're interpreting the world uh, through our emotions. We all think that, oh, we're high intellectuals, we're very clever people, we're figuring out the world. Well, that 
may be true, but in, in front of that uh, lens of intellect are your emotions. Because by everything that you perceive, you have an emotional response to it. And it's, it's the emotional response to it that really sticks with you. Not your thought about it, but what you think about it. It's what you feel about it. Um, like we all have various jobs. We go to the office or go to our trades. When you think about the people in the office or the people in the lab or the people you have to associate, you're not thinking about their thought pattern, basically. You're thinking about how you feel about them. When you go into the office, it's about how you feel about the people that, that uh, really determines your activities, not uh, your analysis of them. Your analysis does come first. Um, every emotion is based on a, a thought or a perception. It's based on a thought or some perception or some stimulus from nature. That's the root. That's why they say control your thoughts. Because <laughs> if you can control your, if you can actually regulate your thoughts, you can all, you can also have a means of re regulating the types of emotions that arise. But generally, no one's taught us how to regulate our thoughts, so our thoughts are all over the place. Consequently, our emotions are all over the place. So it's important to realize that thought or perception or stimulus gives rise to emotions. Okay? And emotion is, is a, a means of perceiving or interpreting the world. Emotions are a means of perceiving or interpreting the world. I feel this way about that. I feel that way about that. You're interpreting the world. And based on, on that emotional interpretation, further actions come. I like this person. I don't like this person. This person is pleasant. This person is unpleasant. And we have various gradations of actions based on those feelings. So you have thought and perception, emotion and action. And, and it, it goes around and around and around. Thought and perception, emotion, action. And then, see, those actions give rise to other emotions. See? So they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and you're, caught, you're caught in a loop. The, the, the problem with being caught in the loop is there's, unless you're becoming trained as a yogi, there's no way to, to uh, purify the process. It's just basically a random process. Like if we uh, were to catalog the emotions that we have in a day, just to be careful and watch carefully the emotions. You can, you can break emotions down into, it's easier to break it down into like three qualities. You know, uh, tamasic quality, rajasic quality, <clears throat> and sattvic quality. That's just an easy way to do it. Tamasic is low. So it's all of your anger, all of your fears, all of your resentments. That's your tamasic emotional, emotional patterns. Your, your rajasic patterns are anything that is highly activated, highly passionate. Those are all your 
Um, it's a mixture. Rajasic energy is a mixture of stuff, but usually energetic, <laughs> passionate. You know? your, your, your sattvic emotions are, are more rarefied, uh, more altruistic, more selfless, more giving, more humanitarian. So, I mean, if you're looking at your emotions just in, in the course of the day, you have to say, say, what's the ratio of what's going on? You know, how much of my emotions are tamasic? And be, uh, please be honest with yourself. We all have unpleasant emotions because we meet unpleasant people. And we, you know, you, so be honest with yourself. You know, you, you don't like everybody. <laughs> so be honest. It's okay. And you have rajasic uh, uh, emotions. And, and occasionally you, you have uh, sattvic emotions. But it's in very, very important to sort of start to look at your emotions just as an observer so that you can sort of get an understanding of the ratio. How much sattvic do you have? How much rajasic do you have? How much tamasic do you have? You know, a lot of people are living in depression and anger, so there's a whole lot of tamasic energy going on. But you can't fix what you don't know is broke, see? You, you, you can't lift what you don't know has fallen. <laughs> so you have to just take this very, very honest inventory of, of your emotions. In, until you know the ratio, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no desire or element to say, I should change this. Because you haven't you haven't taken an inventory, so you don't know what's what your stock is until you take stock of yourself. Why would you change? There's no reason. <coughs> you, you haven't you haven't made up an analysis to say, you know, I can I can make this adjustment, I can make that adjustment. You know, I've been living with this energy. I I, I probably should heal that and, and, and get on with it. You know, so. So we have to take a very honest stock of, of, of where we are, what stimulates our, our, the various emotions, you know, how much fear is in our life. You know, uh, it's super important. Fear is one of the huge motivators of, of human, human life. We, we're not aware of it because we just don't look. But a huge amount of our activity is based on fear. <laughs> You know, a huge amount of our emotions are based on fear. And until we analyze, is the fear truly valid, it's hard to eliminate it. Once we realize it's not really, really valid, that it may be an event in the past, but it's no longer currently alive, but we're holding on to it as if it's alive, it keeps affecting us. So we sort of, you know, land up in our own psychic ghetto, our own emotional ghetto. And we're not even aware of it. The, the whole process of yoga is to become very, very aware so that we can release the unnecessary uh, by many means of, of purifications and move to a more joyous, spacious, objective life. See? We, we carry a ton of baggage that's that's just not necessary and that unfortunately our society will support 
oh, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay. You know, he is a bad guy, you know? Well, maybe he is. <coughs> but why tether yourself to that memory, which evokes negative emotions, which you have to live with? See? Just cut it loose. You know, realize that nobody is really bad. But you, you might have people who are really sick. And being really sick, their behavior is unpleasant. So if you can, if if you can even make the shift from saying this person is bad to this person is sick, you've just thinned out that tether that that, that is tying you. you. You're you're having a more compassionate view of that person, and then you ask yourself, well, who can't get sick? You know, or when when have I not been sick myself? When have I not spoken something in anger, or or, or done something? that I now realize is really ignorant and stupid, but hurt other people. See, we, the face that we see out there, we've done all that nonsense also. You know, you know we're not angels dropped from heaven. <laughs> you know? Well, maybe deep, 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 deep we're angels. <laughs> but we're like angels with lots of mischief. <laughs> so... We have to we have to sort of sort that out, clean it up, and then we get our wings back. <laughs> but uh, so the, this whole idea of mysticism, we can't rise to the heights of, of that internal those internal realizations without having a, a foundation. And that, that foundation is by purifying the emotional stream. And that emotional stream is purified by first analysis of what's in the river. You can't clean the river until you figure out what's in it. So, we really are primarily emotional creatures. We, we do have intellect, we do think, we do create, you know, we do build. We are intelligent, but the bulk of our experience is emotional. When you think about your husband or your boyfriend or your parents, aren't all those based on emotion? You know, it's not like, oh, my father was a wise fellow. No, 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 no. You're thinking about when he hugged you or when he didn't hug you. And, and that's going to be your primary memory. You know, or when your mother, you know, had a kind conversation that held your hand and, and could truly empathize and, and see who you are. You know, you're gonna you're gonna remember that. You're not gonna say, oh my mother was a clerk at the five and dime store. No. That's not what's gonna be in your mind. It's 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 your emotional relationship that you had with her or your boyfriend or your husband or all the others significant or your brothers and sisters. You know you, your relationship will, will be primarily emotional. The, the intellectual stuff is there, but the, the, the stuff that you're going to deal with first is how you felt about it. <laughs> so, so we realize that we're sort of well, this, this floating emotional creature, and emotions are our way of perceiving and communicating with the world. That's a way of perceiving the world, and it's a way of communicating with the world. You, you communicate primarily emotionally, not not 
but I'd say maybe 80 percent, you know, emotionally. You, you, you communicate with, with the world. You know, when you, when you go to work, you, you say to a friend, oh, how are you feeling? You don't go, hey, what are you thinking? You say, how are you feeling today? <laughs> you, don't, you don't walk up and say, how do you, what are you thinking today? You don't. <laughs> you know? So, we have to understand how much of our life is, is, is purely a, a emotion. Now, in this uh, pursuit of yoga, and yoga means uh, to yoke together the finite to the infinite, the small to the grand, the limited to the unlimited. That, that's what yoga is. You know, the, the unknowing to the knowing. All of those alpha-omega type situations. You know, that's what yoga is, is about. The profane to the sacred. In, in trying to uh, make that journey, and it really is a journey, into uh, into devotion. Being very practical, you know, the way to it for the average person is to look to the arts. You know, think of how how music has affected your your life, or how art has affected your life, or how sculpture has affected your life, you know, how poetry has affected your life, how theater has affected your life. Aren't all those emotional experiences? Hugely, I mean, they can change your life, you know? Music, you know, haven't you seen people weep in the theater, or weep when they hear particular music? See? So, Pursuing the arts are, are really important to, to start to purify emotion. So when you're listening to music and your heart is bursting and you're starting to weep, you say, oh my God, that so touched me. It, it's, we should stop and say, what is it there that opened my heart? What is it there that moved me? Well, when you see a breathtaking piece of art, we, we just stop and go, wow, you know. Or even to see a sunset, that's, you know, again, you stop and go, wow. You don't intellectually say, well, the sun is, is, is uh, breaking down the light and this is, no, you're not, you're not doing that intellectual analysis of the spectrum of light and why, whether the sky is blue and the, the sun is uh, orange that day. You're not doing that. You're having an emotional, wow. That, that, that's what you're, you're communicating through the world through that emotional experience. But we, we should, if we're going to advance in the process of yoga, we have to become reflective as to why did that move me? Why did that move me? See? Not to just experience it, which is what we do just as human beings. We go, wow, and then we keep moving on. But we should go, wow. And then ask the question, why did that move me? What, what, is it, what elements in that touched me? Once you, once you do that analysis of asking yourself, what are the elements in that song or that art or in that theater or in that sunset 
that touched me, note it down, because that understanding is a path in. It's a path to your deeper heart, not to your common heart. Your common heart is what you use every day. It's going down the street. And everybody you pass, you have this feeling or that feeling about. And it happens quick, 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 quick. There's not a person you pass on the street that you don't have an emotional response to. Not one. Not one. You have an emotional response to everyone. It's happening in milliseconds, though. It's happening super, super fast. You know, why do you move over this way when this person's coming and move over this way when that person's coming and stay here? You're, you're constantly adjusting your actions based on your emotional experiences. Even your pupils are dilating at, at different degrees by everybody you see. The ones you're more interested in, the pupils are opening up more. The ones you're less interested in, the pupils are closing down more. <laughs> you know, or even the, the hair on your, on, on your arms. And the, and the amount of moisture in your skin is going to be is going to change by based on your emotional response to everybody that you walk past. <laughs> it's happening in milliseconds. Milliseconds. The rate of your heart is changing in milliseconds by how you're emotionally perceiving the people and the events and the environment around you. It's all so you're constantly this biodynamic thing changing based on your emotions. See? how you feel about your environment. So we have to find uh, elements in life that are truly elevating, truly wow, truly awe-inspiring, and start to focus on that stuff. You first have to realize, I'm saying, wow, this is really meaningful. Then you do that analysis of why is it meaningful. And then you isolate those whys and then you start to emphasize those whys in your personal life. Because you become like whatever you associate with. Whatever you think about a lot, that's what you become. You know, it becomes part of the body of your experience. You know, how did you become an artist? Well, you associated a lot with art. How did you become an engineer? You spent a lot of time in that process. So, so you, your, your human experience becomes about what you associate with. Now, the, the human experience in general is unbelievably random. It's just whatever happens, that's where we are. <laughs> but the yogic process is very, very different. We watch very, very carefully as to what has a, an uplifting effect on it, on, on our psyche. And we seek to duplicate that over and over and over. In that, until that becomes a habitual pattern in our lives. So it becomes a, a habitual, habitual stream of inspiration. See? But you, ha you have to really analyze and find those wow things, those things that moved you. And then all of, all of yoga is engineering. <laughs> You're engineering these things into your life so that you, you are creating uh, lenses that you see the world through. Right now, as regular people, our lenses are very random. It's, it's sort of whatever. And we experience the world through the whatever. That's a little tough because we're bouncing all the time, bouncing all the time. As opposed to, or as opposed to creating 
a worldview based on our best experiences. See? Trying to create a worldview. You ever meet an optimistic person? They're happy. No matter what's going on, this happened, that happened. They're still feeling pretty good. They're still upbeat. As opposed to hanging around a depressed person. Both of them are, are looking through a, a, a lens. They have a worldview that they're seeing the world through, experiencing the world through. They created, whatever, whether, whether it's a depressive view or an uplifting view, they created that lens and they're, they are living and perceiving the world through that lens. So yoga, again, we have this craft where we, we simply are constantly looking for the very best, the, the most inspiring uh, avenues and bringing it into our life on a daily basis. This is how I want to see the world. This is how I want to... You're going to see the world one way or the other. But you, you can see the world through a type of uh, intelligent optimism, or you can see the world through a sad pessimism, or you can see the world through the whatever chaos. See? I mean, how many friends do we have that are living in the whatever chaos? We all have friends like that. Just, it's like whatever, and it's chaos. <laughs> it doesn't get better and they ch until they choose to make it better. See? Yoga is a very deliberative course of, of, of self-expansion, deeper insight. When we have a, a significant emotional experience that is, that is inspiring, what you're really having is a moment of insight into your greater self. Then it gets cut, covered up by our, our habitual nonsense. We have a, an unbelievable amount of psychic nonsense. But when you have that inspiration, you actually are touching a deeper level of yourself. The key is to learn to uh, expand those experiences of a deeper level of self. Why do you think all these yogis are sitting quietly? They're sitting quietly so that they can concentrate very, very deeply to say, what is, what is my essential experience? They're not saying, what is my whatever experience, just the stuff that's flowing through the world. They're, 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 they're sitting quietly and, and concentrating very deeply to say, what is momentary and unconsequential, and what is more prolonged and consequential? That's why they're sitting quietly, because they really, they're really taking a hard look at, at their own inner constitution. You, know, you, you have sort of the, uh, the, the, the waves and the foam of the ocean, and then you have these very, very deep currents in the ocean. The yogi is looking at the deep currents in, in, in your own constitution, not the momentary wave, the momentary change, the momentary froth. You know, it could be very exciting, but not that meaningful. But it's those very deep currents that actually control the entire weather of the globe. You know, all these deep streams of movement in the ocean. We, so we have deep streams within our own psychic constitution. But because of lack of training, we're watching the, we're watching the wave and not the, the deep streams of movement that actually determine the nature of, of your environment, not the momentary experience.
momentary experience is like, you can think of it like popcorn life. You know, it's spicy, tasty in the moment, but no substance, <laughs> you know. There's no, there's no nutrition there. But the, the deep currents are, are what is feeding the ocean and, and, and keeping it vital, keeping it alive, and, and keeping it uh, fresh. There's no stagnation. It's of substance. Even before you get to this, this question of God, is there God, is there not God, maybe God, maybe not God, those are all really high questions, you know. If we're looking at the world through a very unstable emotional pattern, why even ask those questions? You know, we're woefully unfit. Most of the time, we, because of our highly unstable emotional condition, you're looking, the average human being is looking at God as sort of like a back door in case life goes south, it's oh God, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the hopeful lifeline that's coming out of the, the, the unknown, so basically the notion of God is fear-based, you know, we're just hoping for a, a lifeline to be thrown if, if things go south. So that's a pretty unenlightened, unenlightened way to approach it, approach this concept of God. We should hold the concept of God because the greatest souls amongst man have said there is such a reality, such a thing. So from that perspective, we should say, okay, God. And we should have a maybe. You don't know, but it should be, okay, these guys know a lot. They know more than I do. So I'm going to hold God as a, as a possible reality. Yeah. And so that's sitting on the side. And then through your, through your investigation, through the highest experiences of, of art, whether it's theater or music or dance, all of these, all of these things, when you can actually hold those experiences in your heart, you know, hold that revelry in your heart for a more prolonged period of time, not just a moment, but let's say you see a wonderful dance performance and it is like crazily inspiring, like, wow, that was magic. To close your eyes and to hold that experience of that magic, if you can hold that thought or that feeling for a prolonged amount of time or more more than just a moment then what starts to germinate in in your psyche is that that was more than man <laughs> that revelry that magic that happened had to come from somewhere see and that that would happen there was more than what man could do. So you, you start to realize, wait a minute. What happened came through man, but was not of man. That's where you start to enter into sort of a notion of God or a notion of mysticism, where you realize that no human being could have done that. You know, <laughs> that, that, would, that came through them. 
you know, like if you see a piece of great sculpture, or great art, or great theater, or great music, that was a, or in, in, in all the classical forms, even the artists themselves, if you read their biographies, they'll, they'll say, I heard the music. I didn't create the music. I heard it. Or I had this moment of reverie and I wrote it down. I was like a scribe. They're not really the author of it. They may have been the channel of it, but they weren't, they weren't really that author. They said it was a moment of inspiration. They, they went beyond their normal conceptual self and was sort of the, the, the wind in their sails. That wind came from somewhere. See, there you're starting to find mysticism. There, there's the mysticism that's, that's coming. The, the yogic process um, gives us very, very practical means of acquiring a heightened sensitivity so that we can uh, start to experience the very deep uh, channels of, of reverie that actually are part of our inner constitution. It's, it's there. It's just a very deep tide in the human constitution. And basically we're boats floating on the surface. But by uh, learning the, the lore of association. So let's say you have some experience through art or through music or through theater or dance. And then, and then you sort of isolate and conceptualize the nature and the meaning of that experience. Then part of your yogic process is to, is to go on a search to find where that concept, where that experience is manifesting in the world in a more regular pattern, where it's arising more regularly, not just to that performance, but where is it? So that, that will often lead you into philosophy, because these various uh, philosophers are trying to say what is life, what is the nature of life, what, what, is, what is meaning in life, what, what is meaning in life. And their discussions will often, often lead um, to these moments of heightened awareness, heightened revelry, heightened <coughs> insight. And then if you go further, you go be beyond the philosophers. The philosophers will lead you into this, into the nature of the saints. The, the saints are souls that have brought these deep uh, constitutional currents to the surface, where they're, where they're understood uh, they're utilized, and they're stable. They're stable. They're stable in us, every one of us, but highly hidden, because we're 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 all caught up in the foam of life, in the in the surface ways. We're not caught up in the deep currents. The the saints are those souls who were just like us, but did some deep diving, and now they live in the current. The, the currents become their worldview, not the, the foam of life. So, 
you start to say, well, okay, these saints are, are stabilized manifestations of insight, stabilized manifestations of revelry, uh, stabilized manifestations of inspiration. How'd they stabilize it? <laughs> you know, they're a human being just like us. How'd they do it? They, they didn't stumble into it. There's a process to it. So they'll say, okay, you're a human being. You have all of these various forces. You have the force of your breath, so the pranayama. Uh, you have the force of your, your nervous system, so all the studies of Shakti Kundalini. You have the, the force of your emotions. You have the force of your intellect. How do you coordinate all of these different forces so that it can stabilize you in the, the currents that are most significant to your life? That, 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 that give your, that give meaning. Like, why do we get up in the morning and strive? We, we get up in the morning because we have a hidden optimism saying, you know, maybe today will be better. Otherwise, why get up? Why get up? Why open your eyes? Because deep, 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 deep down, that spark of, of spacif, joyous, revelry is in you. That is why you open your eyes in the morning. Otherwise, you'd say, this world is hopeless. <coughs> no point in getting up. You know, heaven best take this last breath. But because hidden in you, there's a spark of knowing that there is something better than what's, what is in the moment. You get up. See? Now, the, the thing is to do the deep diving to, to find that that treasury that, that is inherent in you, it's like mining. You know, you have to go deep into the earth, you know, to, to find that treasure. And then you resurrect it. You, you bring it to the surface. You don't leave the diamonds deep in the mine. You bring it to the surface and you adorn yourself with it. So what is a saint but a soul that has adorned him or herself with the glory of God? See, the, the glory of inspiration, of revelry, of insight, of true knowing, not foam knowing, not momentary knowing, but stable, joyous knowing. They, they've, they've basically resurrected their deeper self and they're living with it in the moment, now on the surface. They're happy, they're joyous, they're <coughs> uplifting, they're inspiring. Why? It's because they've now tapped, they've tapped a deeper source in themselves, a deeper reality in themselves. And uh, they're now living a mystical life, not merely an emotional life. The, the best of your emotional life, you know, maybe, like for an average person, could be like a good humanitarian. A good humanitarian is, uh, is, has a level of inspiration and uh, social conscience. They want to do something good, and they feel good about themselves and what they're doing. That's good. That's not yet mysticism, but that's actually more purified emotion. That's more a sattvic emotion that, that motivates them to, to do good for the, well, for the welfare of others. See? That's a more sattvic feeling. You're not doing it for yourself, although you're getting a lot of joy out of it, 
But the joy comes from making other, bringing joy to other people. So that's a sattvic emotion. The, the joy that you receive is sort of a byproduct of the joy you're helping to engineer, you're helping to lift. So, in, in this yogic process, we learn how to uh, be still, so that in the stillness comes clarity. And in the clarity becomes more skillful action. See? So there's a logic. You have to search, learn to have some kind of stillness. And in that stillness comes a clarity. And in that clarity becomes skillful action. See? And if you're, if you're having some skillful action, you're saying, what is for the best? How can I, how can I resurrect the greatest joy, the greatest insight? the greatest laughter, the greatest sense of freedom. How can I resurrect those things in myself and in anybody, everybody around me? So imagine if you had a room full of people that were trying to bring that stuff out. You know, the greatest sense of personal freedom, the greatest sense of personal joy, the greatest sense of, 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 of insight. That's truly a joyful, you know, wonderful place to be. So. As aspiring yogis, this is this is what you're doing, but the the easiest tap point is through the arts. That's the easiest place to start. And then you make the analysis of what it was that made you weep, what it was that lifted your heart, and then you say, well, how can I persistently reproduce that? So you start to create means of reproducing that in your life. See. That, that becomes a gift to yourself and a gift to other people. Like if you're creating beautiful art in your life, don't you think everyone else around you is saying, wow, that's wonderful. I feel better for having seen you today. You know, you, you, you become your own art project. Over time, you realize, as we said earlier, that what you're... What you're trying to resurrect is, is deeply part of you, and it's also deeply universal. It's, it's, it's you and the greater you. It's you and, 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 you know, what made the flower bloom and what made you smile today? Is there really a difference between what made the flower bloom and what made you smile today? If you think dif deeply, what inspired the flower to manifest and inspi inspired the the, 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 you know, the smile to come, exactly the same energy. It's exactly the same energy. There's, there's a hidden loving current in the world that creates beauty. And you want to find that hidden loving current that creates beauty. And there's a hidden loving current that creates a sense of freedom. See? Most of the time we feel bound this way, bound that way. Yoga is to unbind you, make you joyously free. You know, uh, I don't know what kind of example. Maybe you know people hand gliding or swimming. People who love to swim get that sense of freedom in the ocean. You know, or why do people jump out of planes and do this uh, parachuting? Or why do people ride motorcycles? I've ridden a motorcycle. And you get a tremendous sense of freedom on that bike. You really do. 
or a sports car. Why do you drive a sports car? Because there's a, there's a crazy kind of freedom that you feel, you know? That freedom, why, why do we want to associate with it? It's because it's part of ourselves. What we're doing is touching a part of ourselves that we've sort of been unassociated with. But that fast motorbike or that cliff diving, or all these different means, we respond to it because it's part of ourselves. It's, it's there, but we haven't accessed it. That's why we seek it out again. So there are these hidden currents uh, that exist in the world that are, that are part of us and part of the natural body of existence that the yoga process is trying to put us into contact with. As you, as you start to get into contact with these uh, profound life currents, ultimately you come to a point where you say, you know, this is divine. This is God. No man could do this. You know, when you see the Rocky Mountains or see the sunset or see a grand forest, sometimes you just stop and say, man can't do that. <laughs> you know, you, it's just breathtaking. You say, this is something. I don't know what God is, but this is from God. <laughs> you know, everybody has that breathtaking experience where you see something and you say, that had to come from God. I don't know, I haven't met God yet, but I know that's, that's his signature right there. You know? So we all have that kind of inspiration. That moment of, of, of saying, I don't know how that happened or what that is, but that's something from God. That's a moment of mysticism. That's a moment of mysticism. The key is to learn how to stabilize it and to live in it. <laughs> See? As opposed to being a moment. To learn how to stabilize it and live within it. That's the whole, the whole process of yoga. So the teacher will tell you to sit up and do the, to do the pranayama and then to do the mantra japa and then to say the prayers and to concentrate the mind. All of these things are means of purifications so that you can acquire a stable vision of what's going on deeply inside the world. I mean, what makes things happen? What, what, what is the origin of creativity? It's, it's a loving, joyous manifestation of life. Life is this incredible divine celebration. But because of the nature of our minds, we, we have sort of like a walnut shell of a mind. And we want to limit the universe to that walnut shell. <clears throat> and the yogic process is to smash the shell so that this incredible cacophony of creative energy that has its origin in the divine, which is divine itself, we experience. But we all have our own unique walnut shells that we live in. <laughs> the yogi is to smash the, <laughs> smash the shell. So sometimes this, this yogic process is not that comfortable because you're comfortable with a static condition and the yogi is saying, I want you to change. I want you to grow beyond that shell. But you're saying, wait a minute, I'm good with the shell. It's worked so far. And so we're limited. And, and the Guruji is saying, look at this guy. 
that is a greater reflection of you than this walnut shell that you're living in. Now that, looking at the sky, can be sort of scary when you're sort of very, very comfortable in, the, in sort of a very limited, very well-defined, very exercised walnut shell. See? So sometimes, forget that Guruji, or that Guruji is nuts, I'm not doing that. You know? That's normal. It, it takes time. That's why all of yoga and yoga teaching should first be based in friendship. That way, you learn to see them as who they are. You learn to trust them. And then, little by little, you learn to do a little experiment, and then another little experiment. And then you can see what happens. See, all of the yogic process is based on experiments. You shouldn't just say, do this, the teacher says do this, and you just do that. No. Why? You have to learn to trust the person. You have to learn to see, are they for real? And then there should be other valid sources, uh, secondary sources, uh, for you to, that should inform you. And that's why all the scriptures are there, and the biographies of the great saints are there. I mean, any, any yogi who's telling you don't study scriptures, run. You can't get out the door fast enough. You can't get out fast enough. Because those scriptures by those saints are living maps left by their blessed hearts for us. See? If they took, the, if these saints and masters took the time to write it, as human beings, we can take the time to read it. <laughs> See, because they're a map, they're a map out of the swamp of, of man's lower mind. You know, why is there hunger in the world? Why is there so much crisis? Why is there so much violence? God's not doing that. That's man doing that. That's a real sad swamp. That's a terrible swamp. But as yogis, as people who can sort of become inspired by these deeper, more universal currents, we can do our bit to turn it around. You know, we can feed hungry children and bring more smiles and lift depression and cure diseases because that brings freedom. That, that is a truer, deeper expression of who and what we are. You know, the war... The wars and the, the famine and all this rubbish that, that humans are creating are created by people who are living within a very hard walnut shell psyche. A very, very, very limited psyche. So their parameters of their existence are, are kill or be eaten. That's how they're thinking. Kill or be eaten. How, how unfortunate. When their very existence was by cre created by the immortal reality. They're thinking of themselves as profoundly limited. And all the saints are declaring that you're absolutely unlimited. Unlimited. You're actually free if you can step aside from your walnut shell, step aside from your safety zone, you know, move into a, a condition of, of radical faith. Mm -hmm. So the mother throws the baby up in the air. The baby's still laughing and giggling because he knows it's going to be caught. The mother is right there. There's no way that baby's going to fall. We have to learn to have that kind of radical faith in the kingdom itself. That we leap and we'll be caught. That, that we live in the palm of the kingdom, the palm of, of the reality. See? But if we live in a nutshell, we don't have the view. We don't have the perception that it's all okay.
it all works out. We'll all be held. You know, we'll all be embraced. So, over time, we can purify and stabilize our emotions so that they become devotion. And there's various, just like there's various gradations of emotions, tamaguna, rajaguna, sattva guna, the same thing with devotion. There's different levels of devotion. So in the beginning, we're sort of joyously happy and you know, we're, we're attaching ourselves to something positive. That's one level. But over time, we move beyond attaching ourselves to something positive to starting to become aware that we are that something positive. See, in the beginning, it's, it's over there and we're moving towards it and we're happy we're moving towards it. But over time, what happens is, is you, you start to realize there is no over there and over here. <laughs> that the joy you see there is the joy that's hidden here. In, in uh, India, they, they talk about uh, the musk deer running around, running around. It can smell this wonderful fragrance and it's chasing after, running, leaping, and searching for the, this wonderful fragrance that's, that's enlivening it and giving it a sense of vitality only to come to find that it's being, it's, it's from one of its own glands on its head is being manifest. <laughs> but it took a while for it to be exhausted and to sit down and to realize it, it itself is manifesting that amrita, uh, that nectar, that, that's exciting it, making it passionate, alive. See, we're like that musk deer. So the whole yogic process is, is to, uh, to bring us to a point where we can come to understand that we ourselves are generating that sacred nectar. Um, what I'm saying is symbolic, but I'll tell you the, the truth. What I'm saying is actually also literal. <laughs> you know, when you start to do your practices, that's okay. When you start to do your practices, um, uh, there's two uh, phenomena that happen in, in the body. You can come sit here, son. <laughs> He's come, come, come. He can come sit here. <laughs> Good boy. <laughs> there's two processes that happen. Um, and this is actually quite literal. Uh, our, our sciences are not yet so subtle enough or sophisticated uh, to make these discoveries, but they will in, in the future. Um, through this deep practice of, of mantra japa and deep practice of, um, of meditation, there are uh, uh, secretions that manifest in the body, just like you know, if a tiger is chasing you, you, you all of a sudden you get a, a burst of adrenaline. There's other secretions that, that, that uh, manifest a sense of ananda, a sense of spacious joy, tremendous joy. And that, that comes through the mantra japa and, and, uh, and meditation, that th those secretions 
will start to filter into the system. They'll be triggered because of the concentrated mind and the sattvic nature of the mind. When those conditions, the concentration and sattva, purity, when those two conditions manifest, then these nectars will come into the body. They're, they're, they're constitutionally present, but they're not secreted. See? Just like the tiger chasing you. It, the, the, the hormone is there, but it's not secreted into the bloodstream until the need for it. See, just like the digestive juices come when you eat the food, then the digestive juices manifest actively. Same thing. So through the, these practices, the whole world can be miserable, poverty, difficulty. But by doing these practices, you have this sense of ridiculous well-being. You don't even know why you feel so good, but you feel really, really good inside, even though the world is not treating you so well. So well. But it's because deep concentration and deep emotional psychic purity has, has arisen. So that's one manifestation. That's actually real and literal. This is not a joke. This is, this is literally ha happens. And then this, the, the, another condition uh, that arises um, is the nature of the Shakti Kundalini. In, in the base of the spine, in the sacrum of the spine, which is sort of shaped like your palm, like that, in the sacrum and then the lumbar is right above that, um, uh, is, is a tremendous reservoir of energy. And really, the, the God's honest truth, and it's hard to believe this, but it, the, the, the level of energy is, is like nuclear. That's the only way you can think of it. There is that much resonant energy in the human condition. It's there. It's absolutely there. Every yogi will attest to it. And anybody can figure that out for themselves if they do the experiments. Over time, as, as you continue to practice your, uh, your uh, meditation practice, and the Shakti Kundalini is slowly rising, it has to go from chakra to chakra to chakra, and each chakra has to enter into a balanced condition. The reason that you're not having all these high, high revelatory uh, experiences is because the energies in each chakra are not yet balanced. They're not yet harmonious. See? That there's very particular contemplations and mantras to, to, to balance the forces. Even like the word hatha, hatha yoga. Ha means sun. Tha means moon. They're saying to balance the solar and lunar forces. See? To balance the forces in the body. And then with that balance, things can arise. See? Arise naturally. So there's many mantras and many uh, forms of meditation that uh, that balance. And in every chakra, there's uh, both energetic and very uh, psychodynamic principles that arise from each chakra. So like you can say Muladhara chakra, root chakra. Every kind of issue that you have with uh, earth and security, every kind of issue that relates to that is in Muladhara chakra. So... Any, any kind of sense of insecurity or, or foundational stability, those principles are in that chakra. And as, as if you can purify that and get that sorted out, that chakra will be balanced full and full expression. See? You'll, have a, you'll, you'll have a sense that if you stamp your foot, the earth will shake. You'll have that sense of you know, power, of stability, of strength, of solidity. You'll have that sense. It'll, it'll come to you. 
you know, you'll be like a diamond body blonde. See, no instabilities, tremendous strength, you know. So each of the each of the chakras have these uh, different uh, psychodynamics, um, and and as they can become uh, stabilized and purified, the Shakti Kundalini slowly rises, slowly rises, slowly rises. So as it's slowly rising, you're moving through your own psychic evolution. You're, you're becoming more fully what you truly, truly are. You're not just a human being uh, living in this uh, walnut shell. You're, you're, you're becoming um, like an embodied God in a way, but God without the ego. You know, like when man thinks, of, I'm a God, you know, like that. There's a big ego going on there. I'm saying just the empowerment, the natural empowerment see, is there. Not, minus the ego, minus the ego, but the, the, but the empowerment is there. So as, as, you, as you go through, you'll go through multiple, multiple experiences. And then the first three chakras, you're, 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 you're just a human being. You know. But you're not, from, from a constitutional perspective, you're not supposed to be stay just a human being. That's not your evolutionary destiny. Your evolutionary destiny is to be, you know, a Buddha, a Jesus. See? You know, a Krishna. Those are the heights of humanity. That's, that's your evolutionary destiny. Not to be merely a man. You know, that's just merely one level of your evolution. It's not the full arc of your evolutionary experience. So, in the first three chakras, you're just a common human being. You could be a very good human being, but just a common human being. Meaning, not highly empowered. But... The moment the Shakti Kundalini rises to the to the level of the heart, whole other ball game starts. At at, at that point, um, you're no longer merely a human being. You're ent you're entering into the realm of a saint. From the moment the the, the moment the Shakti Kundalini pierces the heart, um, from that moment on, you're on a whole other level of of, of evolutionary uh, expansion. And uh, you're at the very beginning of the life of a saint. See? And, and, and if you think about just the casual, the various saints that you've known through you know, Judaism or Christianity or Islam or any of these different religions, many, many all the religions, these are lives of, of persistent revelation, of persistent psychic expansion, of, of, of persistent levels of bhava, of, of love. In rapture, like if you read Rumi, you, you, you see this rapturous love, or, or, or Saint Francis, who goes into these states of bhava, states of just rapture. See, that, that's part of our evolutionary experience. That's that's where we're going. Um, but so these experiences are there and are possible for everyone. In the this hmm, this experience of uh, uh, the Shakti Kundalini uh, uh, piercing the heart um, is a uh, extraordinarily revelatory. It, it's like you know the Christian mystics will talk about this sometimes. It's sort of like being thrown into a a fiery 
painful cauldron of love. I know those are opposing words, <laughs> but there's a furnace, a fire, and that fire is it is it's, it, it's sacred, but it's burning. All of the nonsense of life is completely being obliterated. So that part is painful. The other part is you're looking into the you're looking into the kingdom itself, and you're having the revelry. The, I don't know how you say that. I don't know how you say it. It's it's a revelry. It's it's an unimaginable view. It's like um, if you can think of the purest embrace of Jesus, the purest embrace of, of Krishna, the purest embrace of Lord Buddha, the purest embrace of, of any of the greatest saints, where the, where their their absolute purity, their joy and their love is completely being showered upon you. That's what's happening. <laughs> That's what's happening when the, when the uh, Anahat Chakra is pierced. Un, unimaginable, unimaginable experience. It's, it's a death and a birth at the same time. It's a death and a birth at the same time. Manifest the Psalms. Yeah, the Psalms will talk about it. Yeah. So, this is part of, this is part of the experience that every human being will go through. Um, it's just that you have to know that such things are possible, that you weren't meant to be merely human, that the, 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 the arc of humanity is far beyond the common human condition, and that all of these things are right now, in this moment, resident in you. They're there now. You just haven't accessed them. You haven't tapped them. So you haven't done the work. No one has showed you how. See, the yogi's job, the guruji's jobs are to show you how. See, so that's through the, you know, you can have the elementary practices of making the body fit, then the practices of ma making the pranas harmonious, and then the practice of starting the purification of the of the psyche, which is prayer, contemplation, mantra, meditation. All of those are or purifications of the psyche, see, so that everything is getting in order, so that the Shakti Kundalini can rise, 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 and there's revelatory and uh, various types of experiences that happen as you, as you go, as you go, as you go. So that this, you, you go from common emotion to sublime devotion, where if you read the lives of saints, their devotion is extreme, you know, they'll, they, they're not afraid of death, they're not afraid of privation, they're not afraid of social or ridicule, none of those things. They, they, have, they have seen something so glorious that no, they're, no tiger on earth they have fear of. They become absolutely fearless, and they, they have this you know, relentless forward motion, and it's based on that, that mystical, you know, divinity that they've, they've come across, that mystical devotion, see, that they are fearless. Can you imagine, as, as human beings, to live without fear? 
Can you imagine that? To be absolutely fearless? And, and to have a sense of, of devotion that leads to complete completion? Complete psychic, physical, emotional completion? See? We're talking unbelievable, unbelievable experience. But it's within our grasp. It's within our grasp. If we choose if we choose to make the journey, if we choose to pay the price, if we choose to do the tapasya, the hard work, see? Not to, not to accept the conventions of, of, of humans and to say, no, 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 I want to go beyond. You know? You know, why does any explorer get into a boat or into a ship and go off into the beyond? See? That's a yogi. Where everybody else is safe on shore, I'm good with this, you know. And some guys are getting on this boat and going out into the, into the unknown. That's a yogi, where you, where you say, okay, I understand this. It was good for them, but I want to know for myself what's beyond, what's really out there, you know, what is possible for me. That's a yogi. That's a yogi, where they'll challenge. They'll challenge life. And they'll go beyond convention. That's why sometimes you hear the yogis are aloof and all this kind of stuff. It's because they put all the conventions of society on the shelf. They say, okay, that's good if you just want to live that way in the nutshell. But I'm getting on this ship, and I'm going to go beyond. So what everybody thinks, God bless you, I understand, but I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm going to go see for myself. You know, is there a God I want to know for myself? That is what distinguishes a yogi from a regular person. A yogi wants to know for himself. If there's a God, I want to know it myself. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to read about it. I want to know it. There's all this mystical power out there. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to read about it. I want to know it for myself. That is the mark of a real yogi. A real yogi wants to know for themselves, and they'll pay the price of admission. They'll get on that boat. Wave to their family and friends and society. I'll see you when I get back. You know? You know? They, they are souls that put it all on the line. They're all in. See? That's the price of admission. If for, for real yoga, that's the price of admission. So, but the good thing is you can go bit by bit. <laughs> and, and build up your strength. Build up your courage. Bit by bit. You know, and that's why you have some divine friends. Like if you have a Guruji around or some yogi around, that is your best friend. I don't care who you know, what your other associations are, your best friend is that yogi. Because that person, that being, is looking towards your greatest expansion. Not your conventional existence. Everybody else can deal with that. Everybody else can do Mother, brother, sister, friend can deal with that. But your greatest expansion your greatest potential, that the yogis and the gurujis are there for that. That's their job. See, they're specifically trained for that. Birth after birth after birth after birth. They've gone through the, all of this stuff. So they don't, they, don't know, they don't tell you about what they've heard. They tell you about what they know. See? You don't want to climb Mount Everest with a guy that just heard about the climb. You want to make the climb with a guy that's done the climb. <laughs> See? You know? The guy who heard about it, you'll be freezing on the mountainside. You know? <laughs> when the weather turns south. 
You want the guy who's been up and down, up and down, up and down. And he himself has followed his Guruji up and down. That's how come he knows the route. That's how come he knows the ins and outs, the safe places and the unsafe places. So you, you, you have to find those souls that have done that. Prior to finding those souls, if you have that kind of blessing, you know, study the scriptures. You know, study all every kind of biography of a saint. Read them. I don't care from what religion. Read their biographies, because that's a heads up on the challenges of the journey. You see, and then you say, why did they make this incredible journey? You know, what motivated them? See, they all had glimpses of the divine. They had that inspiration to know that there was more than this common nutshell that they all were living in. They said, there's something more, and I want to find it for myself. So they start their journey. And it's, it's a journey that's birth after birth. Don't think, I'm going to get it done now. No, come on. You're, you're talking about the heights of reality. You're talking about the greatest achievement possible in existence. So it's a bit of a long walk. <laughs> but the walk is worth it. You know, you're, you're moving into your fullest, freest, more joyous self. See? Not your limited self. You're, you're, you're moving into yourself beyond limitation. Yourself beyond fear. Yourself beyond containment. Can you imagine? Yourself beyond containment. <laughs> Where you're, you are the body of joy itself. You're not chasing the joy. You are the joy. See, like the musk deer. <laughs> See? So this uh, journey from, uh, from emotion to a devotion is a revolutionary, evolutionary uh, journey. It's, it's, a, it's a journey into the absolute nectar of your heart. If all the heavens, God itself, pour the purest nectar into your heart, that's what you're seeking. And that's what you're, that's what you're defined. The purest nectar from the kingdom, hidden in your heart. It's there. It's there. So this yoga is, is, is to bring that out. This yoga is very difficult. Very, very difficult. Because this is the highest achievement of the human condition. The highest achievement. You know, this makes Einstein look like a joke. God bless Einstein. But, you know, that's just one puny level of, of human potential. It looks big because we're like midgets. <laughs> but if, if you're a, a god, everything that man is doing is very small. <laughs> but hidden within the human condition is even greater than the gods themselves. It's even greater than the gods. It's hidden in the human condition. So... You become friends with Gurujis and yogis and stuff. So one, you can learn um, met proper methodology. But two, you can acquire the courage for the journey. See? You start to say, wow, he or she did this. He or she has traveled so long. Why not me? You see, if they can do it, I can do it. You have to get that in your belly. Don't think the Guruji is, oh, this unattainable reality. That's not why they're here. They're here because they say, I'm human. I bleed like you. I have sorrow like you. I have joy like you. But in spite of those things, this is what's possible. And I can show you how. See? The, the, the teachers are not immune from anything. 
they're hammered. But they get hammered so that you, you get to see personally, in spite of that Guruji being hammered, they have this unrelenting thirst for the kingdom. Why? Always ask why. See? It's because the Amrita that they've tasted cannot be found here. It's always it's in that heaven. And they're going to go. One way or the other, they're out of here. They're heading out of here. They're heading beyond the nutshell of limitation. The question is, who's coming with them? You know, they're happy to say, would you like to come? I'll show you. Come with me. Come with me. They have that joy in their heart. You know, only few don't, only few come, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> you know, if you think of the time of great, great master Jesus, why was there only 12 people following him? <laughs> this master from the kingdom has come, and only 12 people chose to walk with him. Why not 100,000? See, they weren't bad. They were ignorant. They couldn't see. It's not like he didn't say, come with me, you know, walk with me, learn, you know, embrace the kingdom, have it all, have it all. He was saying all those things, but only 12 took the walk. That's the human condition. That's the human condition. See? So when, when those various souls are sent, you know, you should do a, a deep... Uh, personal analysis and saying, okay, am I going to take this war or am I good? Whatever you choose, it's okay. Heaven will send, a, send someone else. <laughs> but you're st you're, you're, what humans have to understand is that they're standing in a frying pan. Eventually the stove gets turned on. <laughs> you know, when will, when will illness not come to you? When will loss not come to you? When will privation not strike you? How many people lost their houses in this last recession? Come on. Can you imagine the heartbreak of so many thousands and thousands of people? You know, how many hospitals are full? I don't think any hospital is empty. They're all full. See? How many people are suffering from physical privation right now? This is a frying pan. We've got to understand. So we might be intelligent and vital and I got my university position. Well, you have all that, yeah. But can you assure your health tomorrow? Can you assure not a car crash today? Come on, we're in a frying pan. We have to understand that. There's no certainty here. But even if your body, your body is crushed, if you've acquired that kind of mystical union, that kind of true devotion, your body doesn't mean anything anymore. See? What, we, what meant something really, really important before, we still can be wrapped up in the revelry of our heart and the body becomes meaningless. See? See? So we're, we're no longer caught in that limitation of I need my body to be happy. See? So we can break the bonds regardless of the physical restrictions of, of, of life. It's possible. It's possible. So that's why you, you seek this path of yoga. You, know, you seek this path of true mysticism. And you know, with this path, for, at least from a teacher like myself, you know, cut out all guessing. Cut out all maybe. Say, plant your feet 
firmly on the ground and say, I want to know. And what that means is not what Hari says. That knowing means the revelation within your own being. See? You want to know for sure, personally, directly. See? Then 10,000 people can say one thing. I'm sorry. I was there. I know. See? That's the kind of certainty that I desire for you to have. So that, are there God? Is there angels? You know, all, all, are there saints? No, you should know. You should know. And it's very, very possible. Go through those analyses of your emotions. You know, how much of your emotion is tamasic? How much of your emotion is rajasic? How much of your emotion is, is sattvic? We'll be really sad when we realize maybe 3% of our emotion is sattvic. My God. You know, my God, think about that. <laughs> We've got to clean the pool. <laughs> but it's doable. You know, the quick way to purify your emotions is chant God's name. That's the fastest way to do it. Not meditation. Mantra. It's the fastest way you know, to, clean, to clean up. And it's the easiest way. See? The, all the... All the energy of God will be pouring into you just by association. Om Shri Rama Jai Rama, Om Shri Rama Jai Rama Jai Rama. Any God's name you want, it's fine. Devi's name, any, any name of God will attract that energy. It will, will, will magnetize your body to that energy. And it'll clean house. That's the fastest way. You know. Then, as you, as you stabilize with mantra, then you start to learn to start praying for the welfare of others. So that you're your, your disposition becomes magnanimous. Your disposition becomes altruistic. Then even now, as you're practicing mantra and you're practicing mantra, now the, the, the mantra will become even more magnified because your heart is becoming purer, cleaner, more receptive. See? And then you sit, okay, I'm going to meditate. Now that you've cleaned up a little bit, now when you start to sit for meditation, the mind becomes very strong to see the nature of what is truly going on. And as that mind becomes very strong, quite naturally the Shakti Kundalini is rising, rising, rising. And every gradation of mystical experience starts happening. See? You become like a torch. Well, the angels itself will come because of the light that's starting to be generated by this, this, this human vessel. This is the experience of a yogi who gets serious, a person who gets serious about the revolution. This is the experience. I'm not telling you... Anything mythological, I'm telling you everything that can be done. But it's up to you to, to take your life in your hands, see? Not to, not to live a random journey through life, this whatever existence. But to say, to find the various saints that you say, they were, their life was extraordinary, their life was meaningful, and why not me? See? Why not me? Why can't I put my feet there also? See? Take the journey. Take the shot. You know? Take the shot. <laughs> if, if when you take three steps, heaven will take ten for you. Just for you. You know? Just for you. Heaven is very, very personal. Just for you. So this is this is the reality of the journey. This is what, what is possible for all of you. You're, you're all here for a reason. You, you have that karma. It's, it's just a question of when you say, okay, I'm going to take the shot. <laughs> See, it's, it's like going on a diving board, you know, where you think, I don't know. <laughs> you, 
you come to the point where you say, okay, I'm going to go. And off you go. But sometimes you, you climb up really, really slowly thinking, I don't know about this. See? But then you, you realize, okay, that other guy jumped off and he's okay and he's smiling. Slowly but surely you get the faith and, and get a little bit of courage and say, okay, <laughs> off you go. So, and then you go, wow, that was great. <laughs> but prior to the leap, it's like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm pretty safe right now. So that's what has to happen. You, know, you have to get that courage and that faith to take, take the leap and uh, you know, start off on that divine Marco Polo journey. You know, that's why they have all these stories of Shangri-La and stuff, this place that you travel to, that all this wonderful mysticism. Well, that place is hidden in your own heart. See? That journey that you'll take is hidden within you. No one's going to see it other than, oh, you become a little more quiet, a little more aloof. But at the same time, this unimaginable psychic, spiritual journey is just exploding inside of you, and nobody can see it. <laughs> see? But you know. You know. So, and uh, in that process, you, you, you won't read about saints. You'll meet saints. Like if you look on the wall up there, there's a whole wall of saints I've known, and there's many that are not on the wall because I never even thought to take photos of them. I just, it's, it's, it just never occurred to me. You know, it just never occurred to me. And then I'll, I started taking photos because I thought, gee, you know, after 20 some odd years, I thought, maybe I should start to document some of this stuff, you know, so that people will believe it. Because if you just, if you just start to tell the stories, who's going to believe it? I wouldn't even believe it. But, uh, you you're in for a, a wondrous journey. You know, purify your heart so that life is not about you. Life is about creating more joy and creating more freedom for everybody, not just for you, for everybody. Create more joy, create more freedom for everybody. In your own way, do it. You know? that, that is a purification. And in that purification, every kind of opportunity to you. See, every kind of opportunity is going to come to you. So that, that's my desire for each and every one of you. You know, and whatever small way I can help, that's that's my purpose. That's, for me, it's my guru seva. I'm, I'm for the for the for the glory of my master and with all that I've been given as my prasad, I do this seva. You know? So that you can see what I've seen, you know, so that you can have a, a, a definite knowing that there is a God, and that God is love, and that God is absolutely mercy. I don't care what sin you've done. I don't care what mischief you've done. It can be cleaned up. It can be cleaned up. There's no problem. It can be done. You know. And there is a place for you in, in the cosmos. That is absolutely for sure. But you have to break away from that walnut shell of an existence. You have to learn to break it and to take chances. You know, intelligent chances. You don't be crazy. Intelligent chances. Step-by-step step incremental chances. See? But take the shot. Take the chance. Take the step. See? Don't, don't. The worst thing you can do is live and die as a human being. 
Really, I hate to tell you that, but it's true. That's that's a real. You just, that means you were born in a box, you lived in a box, and you died in a box. Why? Why? When all the cosmos are out there waiting for you, you lived, born, and died in a box. Why? You know, for God's sakes, why? Not not when someone's saying hey, the keys are here, man, and the cosmos belong to you. See. So the thing is, my job, try to get you to take the key and take the shot, you know, so that they say, you know, you're like a meteor, you know, even if you burn out, you burn out in the midst of the cosmos, you know, you weren't limited, you know, you weren't just this rock, you know, on the earth, die glorious, you know, die glorious. <laughs> You know, that, that's my, my desire for you to, 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 if you're going to leave, leave in the glory, not in the box. <laughs> Any thoughts, questions, ideas, you know, anything you say, anything I say, you can poke at and, and say, could you break this down, could you explain this clearer? You don't have to accept things, you just listen and inquire and then say, how, 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 you know. This is a very practical science. You know, I'm not an airy-fairy guy. That's not me. You know, my, I might get the business of how you get it done. That's me. How do you get it done? You know, and and there, there really is a science. When I began many years ago, 40-some-odd years ago, I think, what? Science? You know, mysticism? Science? There's definitely a science. There's a, definitely a methodology to this. And there's definitely steps that you can take and expansions, 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 expansions. You know, you see it for yourself. This is not a maybe business. Anyone who tells you maybe, get out. Get out. You know, this is definite. Just this just nobody told you what you what what you have in you. And told you how to how to bring it out. You know, how to water the seed, you know, to make it manifest. You've got all these seeds of infinite potentiality. But nobody told you how to water it, you know, how, how to make it bloom. It's there. The, the job of the yogis and the saints and the gurus are to teach you how to water those seeds so that they become manifest. It's not that they're not present. They are present. But you haven't made them manifest. You haven't made them bloom. Okay. It's a science. Okay. Any questions, thoughts, ideas? Nothing? Uh, yes, please. In the beginning, you were describing um, the process when uh, something inspires us. It reminds me of Campbell's uh, the, the journey of the hero, where that's true. You just kind of you're willing to die for to serve something that touched you. It's like that's true. But it's you're almost describing uh, the, the cracking of the shell. Is it's almost like a a death of something, so you can be free. It is. A, it, it, it is a type. It's 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 a death to the known, yeah. and it's, and a stepping into the unknown. You know what? I'll tell you something. It is people. You know. I wish that the the yogic methodology was was taught to all of the soldiers. You know why? A soldier is a guy who's willing to take a risk, a man or a woman, who's willing to take a risk. They, they have a, a high principle, it might be accurate or inaccurate, 
but they have some high notion that they're going to bring liberation, bring freedom. That may be true, may not be true, but they have that feeling. And, they, and, and they're willing to put themselves on the line. That person is ready for yoga. <laughs> they're ready for yoga. See? Because they're ready to take a risk. Okay. That person's really, really fit. So I, I truly have the greatest respect for the, the military force. Not because of the military, but because of what they have in their belly. See? They, they have a high notion of liberation for people, and the ability to take a risk. That person is really fit. I don't care what level of education, what level of development, they're ready. See? So that's for us, we have to be, or a fireman, or anybody like that. They're willing to risk themselves, and that's, that's what you need in yoga. You, you have to be willing to take risk. It's an intelligent risk, see? But risk, you know, you're, you're stepping out of the norm for this life. And sometimes you're, you you will even accept a type of privation, you know, so that you have the freedom or the time to, to, to do the deep, uh, deep work. You know, you might not uh, uh, reach your um, potential in society, but you'll reach your potential in the heart. See? See? And also from your example, uh, there there's Saints that have ascended and, and reached the kingdom, definitely and tasted the nectar, and yet, you know, from your example, they come back to uh, this Absolutely. human condition and and live in both worlds. My master was exactly that. My, my master, Sadhguru Sankeshavras, was the most extraordinary. I don't even call him a man phenomena that I've ever seen in my entire life. There was no ability that he didn't have. You know, all these powers, they, that was nothing to him. But one time I asked him about that. I, I said, said to him, uh, Guruji, uh, uh, at first I, I think, I, what did I say? Uh, oh, I said, Guruji, where will you die? Uh, and he said, uh, of course, I'll die in India. And then I asked the question, Guruji, uh, Will I be there? No, Haracharan, you're not going to be there. Uh, my heart was on the <laughs> you know, down crest. And then I asked the question, uh, uh, Guruji, uh, will you come back? And at that point, the entire atmosphere of the room changed. Because he was standing across the room by a window looking out, and then he turned to me. And with tremendous gravity, gravitas, he looked at me deeply, and he said, with deepest love and tremendous weight. He said, you know, I, I, I won't, don't want to think about it because it'll make me cry. <laughs> but he, he said, Hari Charan, as long as there is sorrow in the world, I will return. I mean, he said it with such breathtaking depth of emotion. I almost fainted. I, I, fortunately, I was standing right up against the wall because it, it, it was with such conviction, his whole being, as long as there is suffering in the world, I will return. Complete commitment to humanity. It was breathtaking. It's just like, I, I almost fainted. It took my breath away. Mm. You know? And then I had a mischievous thought. After, after my moment of, oh my God. Said, oh my God, if he's coming back, I gotta come back. 
you know, because we always follow our master. You know, if my master comes, I'm definitely coming. You know, it's like the master is the center of the universe. So we don't, you know, if he's there, you want to be there. You know, so come, please. Not, not that I would necessarily volunteer yet. I'm not that big a soul. But you know, if the master comes, you know, I'll, you know, the master. Once you, once you read, meet a real yogic master. They are the center of the universe. There might be many, many yogic masters, but whomever God has put you with. And, and your master is, is sort of the, the living door to the kingdom. It's by him your liberation comes. He is like the final gate to liberation. So, you're so belovedly indebted to that master. Because they've given you everything, everything, all the treasures of the kingdom are given to them by them. That there's a a profoundly loving uh, indebtedness. They don't want anything from you, but you, as a, as as their cella, feel and a complete, infinite, loving indebtedness. So. If they head for hell, you head right for hell behind them. You know, you're going to help clean house. You know, if they head to earth, you head to earth right behind them. That's that's how it is, and it, and it's done out of love, out of love. So because so much is beginning that you know you, you want to to do to do the work. <laughs> so when you meet these great masters, you'll 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 have those types of experiences and. And like a lot of the things that I mentioned tonight or today um, about all the uh, hidden abilities that are, are within you as a soul, as a being, when you live with the saints and you live with the masters, you, you see all of these powers displayed. But they don't, not like stupid human beings that like peacocks showing off. It's just part of nature. It's just... All of these abilities are just naturally occurring. The ability to read minds, the ability to manifest things, and all these, it's, it's just normal. It's just normal. You know, the, the stuff that, things that you would think are miracles, is like day to day. It's, it's normal. It, it, it's, it's just resonant with them. You know? You know, if you can think of all the blessings that a uh, Master Jesus did for people, it wasn't extraordinary. It was normal for him. It was normal for him. It was part of his beingness. See? When, when you live with a master, you know, seeing every manner of healing becomes normal. You know, seeing every manner of, of cruelty made sweet, clean, and divine becomes normal. The, the crudest human being becomes purified around them. See? It becomes normal. You know, all kinds of diseases just are naturally healed. It's normal around them. See? It's just what they are. It's just what they are. You know, they are the energy of freedom, of liberation, of insight, of purity, of kindness. That's just what they are. I would say to my master, to be honest with you, I'd say you're like living scripture. You read the scripture, you look at the master, you read it, and it's like they're living, they're actually living out, manifesting everything you're reading in the scriptures. It's, it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. So you have to, you know, make yourself fit 
so that you can live with such souls. So that everything that you'll read in the scriptures will be validated for you right in front of your face. You know, you, all the things that you think are, oh, this, is, this happened in the scriptures, it's metaphoric, it's symbolic. No, no, no. It may be metaphoric, it may be symbolic, but it's also literally real. You know, did Jesus walk on the water? Yes. Did he feed the multitude from the baskets? Yes. It's all definitely possible. And when you live with such souls, you actually see it for yourself, and it becomes normal. And then as the teachers are teaching you these various processes of internal liberation, all these different abilities and cities and experiences come to you. You know, you're, you're no longer just a witness, but you're a participant in that, in that kind of a living miracle. See? So you know yourself, you know for yourself. That's why I say, get rid of the maybe factor. I am not interested in maybe at all. I'm interested in people who have the courage to do these, these uh, high uh, mystical experiments. See for yourself. See for yourself. Do honest, you know, yogic experiments and see for yourself. You know, acquire those expansions of, of consciousness yourself. Then, then you'll mean something. You know, then, then your life will have tremendous purpose. You know, you'll, you'll add freedom, you'll add healing, you'll add joy, you'll add all these wonderful qualities to life. Then it meant something. It meant something. You didn't born in a box, live in a box, die in a box. That's a human experience. When all the cosmos are there, why would you be born, live, and die in a box? When all the cosmos are there for you. Why? See? The masters teach you how to be a full, full expression, a full living potentiality. See? Don't die in a box. So that's, that's, that's what we offer. That's what the masters offer, the teachers offer, the gurus offer, the dharma teachers offer, is the, uh, that our freedom, that joy, and that knowing there is a God. You know, there are angels. There are masters. You know for sure yourself. Maybe factor gone. I, I am so not interested in maybe. That maybe means you don't know anything. No. Do the experiments and no. See? And it's, the, the best thing is it's open for everybody. It, it is a can-do. It's just, are you ready to take the shot? Are you ready to take the risk? Have you got that a little level of courage in your belly? Take the shot. You'll be amazed what, what God has given you. See? You'll be amazed. It's there. Any thoughts, questions? My friend, welcome. Thank welcome. You. I don't know you. I'm Cynthia. hard. I'm Cynthia. Cynthia. Oh, I see. Ram Ram Krishna. You're a friend of Victor. I see. <laughs> Any questions, thoughts, insights? Take, always ask questions if you have them. <laughs> My job, your job is to ask 10,000 questions. My job is to answer 10,000 questions. <laughs> I love what you said about the, the maybe factor. Because I hear a lot of people, they get addicted to get guidance from their uh, spiritual guides. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't want to do anything yeah. if they don't get the feedback from their guidance. It's the maybe factor. Yeah, the teacher is to teach you how to take these great maps that the masters have left and in a very practical way 
to realize those maps, to, to take the journey and to see for yourself. You know, that's what we want. We want you to see for yourself so that you have complete conviction, you know, um, uh, and that, that you fulfill the potential within you. You know, you, you don't just live in a box. Humans live in a box. And the job of the yogis is to tell you to get you out of the box. You know, the, the Lord Buddha had a story about um, watching a, uh, a person who used to catch birds for a living, and he would throw the net. And only one or two birds would be able to escape the net. But that's the human condition. We get caught in the net of maya, of illusion, of delusion, of our own personal dreams. And only one or two birds escape that net. See? And those birds are now free. They're, they're back to their infinite freedom. They're not captured in a net. We're all in a net. We just don't realize it. See? But if you think, how much fear do you have? How much depression do you have? How much sense of limitation do you have? See? You're in a net. You're in a net of, of these things. And the, the teachings are to, 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 to break fear. See? To break sense of liber limitation. See? It's to break those things. You know, to break any sense of the lesser. And to give you the sense of the greater. You know, you, you, you think about this. You were created by the infinite reality yourself. Do you think he wanted you to stay so small? as opposed to embrace that infinite reality? He, it's created for you. Why would he want you to be a little nutshell? See, of course you start off a seed, but you're supposed to become a mighty oak, for God's sakes. You know, the kingdom was made for you. So take it. You know, don't, don't be afraid. You know, any thoughts again? If not, well, any comment, my friend? I don't know if I can match your voice. It was wonderful to follow. Um, I had an image, or two things came up. I had an image when you talked about the saint that lives at the level of the current and manifests those current at the top. It's just a sense of um, personal and impersonal. When you're in the waves, you have to be in a boat, you're in a seashell, you're in your walnut shell. Right. And walnut shells bang into each other, and you have to stay apart. When you're in the current, yes. how many ever people are in this current travel with it? Yeah. So the saint has reached the impersonal, and that impersonal is that current which carries all of us. Yeah. And from that we can offer more. This is a real colleague yogi. <laughs> That's why, I, you know, I'll tell you another something. If you enter a room and some guruji is there, how do you know the advanced disciples? As, how do you know? It's a very easy way to know, to be able to understand who is in the room. And this is important to know. The people in the room who are the quietest and the most attentive are the uh, most advanced disciples. The ones who are talking and doing and da -da -da, making a lot of noise, those are the least, least um, developed. You know, that, that'll be true of every time. You go, go around any Guruji, any Swamiji, you know, any Mahatma. The ones who are making the most noise are the least developed. So much psychic movement. Their mind is flying all over the place, you know.
up and down. The ones who are very quiet and very attentive and their mind is focused and their mouths are shut, their mouths are shut and their eyes are open. <laughs> Those are the ones to get next to. Get next to the ones who are really quiet. You'll learn the most from them. You know, they're the ones who acquired their mind so that they're receiving the knowledge and they're processing it quietly inside themselves. See? Get next to the quiet ones. <laughs> That's a heads up if you go to various ashrams and stuff. You'll know. The talkers, pranam, keep moving. <laughs> Be pleasant and keep moving. It's the quiet ones get next to. <laughs> Those are the ones who you can learn from. Okay, so if there's no questions, then we can, uh, I think the food will be pretty much ready. Any questions, Fung? See how quiet Fung is back there? Very good, that's one. <laughs> that's a gem. <laughs> so, we'll chat Om. And, uh, be careful with the So, with the spine erect, you know, for some of you who haven't seen me, when you're chanting Om, it's not just a sound, it, it is a sound, but that sound leads you to many, many, many revelatory experiences. Uh, Om is a creation, it, it's the seed of creation itself. And another way of understanding Om is when, when, you're, when you're chanting Om, you're, you're making an affirm, uh, an insight, you're affirming an insight that all this is God. All this is God. When you're chanting Om, all this is God. <laughs> and that, that Shakti Kundalini is God itself. It's God itself in the, uh, in the, in the form of dynamic energy and uh, opening, freeing. See? That's what's happening when you're chanting Om. It's, it's purifying and leading the, the, that energy, that root energy, back to its original self. That's what's happening. There's a lot of mysticism going on when you chant Om. In the beginning, you don't know. But later on, when you're more steady in practice, that living mysticism will happen in and through you. You'll experience it yourself. You'll know. You'll know what's possible. So we'll chant Om three times. Take a deep breath in.
release the breath. And then gently open your eyes. <clears throat> now when you're sitting in that silence, you're sitting in a silence and you're, you're acquiring a still mind. When you're sitting in that silence of meditation and creating a still mind, Another thing that you're doing that's very important for you to understand is when you're in that silence, you're stopping your own personal creative process. Normally we're thinking, and every form of thought is a creation. Now, when you stop your personal creation, I think this, I feel that, I perceive this, when you stop your own personal creation, what do you think you see? You start to see the creation. Normally, we're seeing through our own filter of our own personal creation. Our history, our notions, our mentality, our emotionality. When you're sitting in meditation, you're suspending all of your personal creation. See, that's why we're uncomfortable. Because we're, from, from birth to death, we're creating. We're creating our experience. When you stop, you're putting your creation in, into suspension. That's when the revelation starts. When your creation enters into suspension, you start to become aware of the creation, of what the grander force is, is doing, not your force is doing. See? And that's where revelation means to reveal. See? Because you've stopped, you, you're quiet now, you've quieted your psychic chatter, you can see the creation that's happening. The real creation that's happening, not your personal creation, the cosmic creation, see? the creation of God as opposed to the creation of man. That's what's happening in meditation, and that's why it's so difficult. You know, we're struggling because, you know, we're, we're, we're so endowed with me, my creation, my way, my feelings, my thought. We're, we're suffused with that notion, and meditation makes you stop the my. And stop and stop your generation. Let's see to see what God is generating beyond your perception. See, you're, you're you're temporarily taking down the lenses of your perception just to see what is beyond your way of seeing thinking. Your whole mind is a lens. You're putting you're stopping the lens. See, you're still you're not dead, so you're going to be aware. But the question is, aware of what? See. Not just the world through your psychic vision. See, that's why you learn to meditate. You know, why can you have conviction in God? Your mind doesn't know God, but God is there. So stop your mind and see what's there. And that's why you'll, you'll experience God. See? God is not your creation, but everything you see through your mind is your creation. Everything you see through your mind is your interpretation. See? Stop that. Then, you can, then you'll acquire conviction of God when you can stop that. You'll see beyond your lens. Take your lens and just put it in suspension. And then you're not dead, so you're going to be aware. Okay? Aware of what? That's what you'll learn through meditation. And this learning, meditation, meditation, is, is slowly learning to put aside your stuff, your mind, your perception, your creation. You know, a fish doesn't know it's wet. <laughs> but, so we don't know we're using the mind all the time. 
for everything, for every perception. We're using the mind. Meditation teaches you how to take... Mind is a facility, just like your emotions are a facility. Your tactile senses are a facility. See? They're just facilities of experience. What happens when you put those aside? Then what's going on? What's happening? See? Meditation is difficult because we're so suffused with using the facility. No one has ever told us to put it aside and see what goes on then. See? That's when revelation starts, when you can slowly start to put your facilities aside and just see what is, what is beyond your personal creation. So it takes time, but it's definitely doable. You're made to do it. You're made to do it. You're, you're made, it's like a chick in the shell. It's made to get out of the shell. See, it's not made to stay in the shell. The humans are the same way. We're not made to stay small. We start small, but we're supposed to become cosmic. See? Cosmic. We're supposed to take the full breath of reality, not this micro, you know, pulse. See? Okay, thank you all.